Okay, welcome to another edition of the Cultural Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Today, I have someone on Zoom dialing in all the way from Australia. How are you doing, Jasmine? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've had, uh, I think I've had an Australian on the show before, but I interviewed him in Denver. And I interviewed another guest, Sid Arts, when, while I was in Sydney, Australia last year. Um, mm-hmm. But you're the first Australian in Australia, you know, given the time difference. So we have like, well, almost like a 20, 25 hour time difference or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, something like that. It's a, it's a big gap. <laughs> Oh, sorry, not 25, maybe like 18 hours or something. But um, but I appreciate you. You know, it's like 2 a.m. over there. It's like 8 a.m. over here. Um, how's everything? Uh, what's going on in Australia? Um, I haven't really caught up with the news since the fires and everything. But what's, uh, you know, giving COVID and, you know, the Christmas season and everything? What's the atmosphere there like? What's the vibe like? Um, it's really good, actually. I, I reckon for the most part, COVID hasn't exactly put us into to a full lockdown, um, at least compared to other parts of the world. Um, naturally, we have like a lower population, so I think it makes sense. But yeah, at the same time, things are okay. Um, like I've spoken about this, you know, during many um, interviews and, and, you know, to many people personally. And it's like at the beginning, things were very hard. It was just like, you know, there was a lockdown, nobody knew what was happening. Things were very, you know, hard to deal with. I definitely... You know, I'll admit I was one of the people who kind of, I don't want to say lost hope, but I was not in the best headspace because, you know, there was this lockdown and nobody knew what was happening. Um, Although, you know, there's good and bad to every, you know, event or every story. For the most part, I think, like, I think Australia's handled it very well. I think we've done a good job at keeping the numbers not too dangerously high. And um, it's... Yeah, it's really interesting. So basically things aren't in full lockdown at all. Basically, um, you can do all these, you know, activities as you normally would do with the exception of, um, well, there's no exception, but I guess there's limitations. And um, the funny thing is, you know, little outbreaks happen from time to time. That's when they kind of like, you know, do something about it. But I think for the most part, we're very fortunate. And I try to look at it that way. I try to look in the sense that, okay, at least we can go out and we can still do things. So, you know, I have to say for me, as soon as things opened up, as soon as there was like a green light to start doing things again, like I was already kind of pre-planning. My team and I were doing research, you know, at the very beginning, when would this open up? When would other things open up? And, um, you know, as a result, we, we were kind of prepared. And then moving forward, um, yeah, as soon as there was a green light, I was straight back into it. You know, I, I went, you know, started doing more modeling projects, started doing more, you know, podcast interviews, um, started, you know, I started doing more things because I really just missed being um, active in my career. But um, I look back and I think that was one of the best decisions I made. A lot of good things came out of it. Um, one specific thing, you know, did come out of it a very good achievement, which I'm happy to share later on. But yeah, I'm really grateful. And I guess I have more gratitude and I'm more um, appreciative appreciative of, of things because it can, 
I guess you never know when the opportunity will be kind of like taken away from you. Most definitely, oh, most definitely. A lot of things we take for granted. And, you know, I share in, you know, some of that pain, you know, especially in the beginning, like uh, March, April, you know, the early days of COVID. Uh, luckily for me, podcasting kind of like kept me sane in a bit, you know, in, as, uh, in the sense that I was talking to people from all around the world virtually and that, you know, helped with that human interaction piece that you were talking about. But it's interesting you said that, and I guess this is the right time to just peel back into what you do. So uh, Jasmine Shojai uh, is, a, is a model uh, from Australia. Uh, she, she was Australia's top glamour model for 2017 and 2018. So back to back, uh, she was also, uh, she's also a Playboy cover girl. She has been on numerous magazine covers. Uh, she was Playmate of the Month for Playboy Croatia. And I, I think that was like last year, if I'm correct. Uh, last year, the year before, yeah. <laughs> okay, yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, I mean, she she she's been there and she's been modeling for about five years now. So uh, we're just gonna peel back on the layers about you know your background, how you go into modeling, what you want to do next, that kind of thing. But with your comment on COVID, I, I think it's safe to say that you are pretty extroverted. I mean, you you pose uh, on on the front page of magazines. You have all these lingerie shoots. You like human interaction. Were you always that way? Take us back to, you know, Jasmine, like nine-year-old Jasmine growing up uh, in Australia. How was growing up like for you? How many siblings do you have? What part of Australia did you grow up? Uh, and what type of girl were you uh, growing up? Um, I mean, going back to my roots, yeah, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. Um, my family and I moved to Canberra, which is about a three-hour drive away, and that was later in my early teens. But yeah, growing up in Sydney, I reckon, especially for those of you who have been to Sydney, um, Sydney can be actually very multicultural. So I always have that kind of multicultural, diverse, um, you know, environment around me. In terms of my family, we are pretty diverse. So I am half German, half um, Persian. So my parents came from overseas. And um, yeah, I do have some half siblings. So I have two half sisters and a half brother. And um, growing up with them were like, you know, really good times. I think we were all kind of extroverted in a way. Like we were very, I don't know, just um, energetic kids. And it's funny though, looking, you know, looking now, I'm probably the only one who went into um, falling up um, as an acting and modeling. But I think we're always that, you know, sort of family who were kind of like, I don't want to say like, you know, people that were performing arts, but we're always just very energetic about things. And um, yeah, there's so many good memories I can recall, you know, growing up in Sydney and just, you know, being young and being a child. But I think going back then, I was definitely not as confident as I am now. And it's really funny, I only told two people this, but for me, I think it's really inspirational because as for as long as I can remember, especially, you know, easily, I should say from the age of five, I was very, you know, inspired by the models and actors that I saw on TV. And I just thought they were really cool. And that... What's one, what's one movie you remember watching when you were five years old? Um... That's a good question. Like, I don't remember exactly, but I just remember seeing, like, all these different films. It's really funny. Like, I, um, obviously, I had um, an older half-sister at the time, and we, um, I just remember watching TV, and um, we watched all sorts of shows, like, um, cartoon-wise, there was The Simpsons. Um, it, it is really funny, like, for some reason, 
that I remember just specifically the TV shows. So we watched like Seinfeld and the Nanny. So that was like going back into the like middle, late 90s. So it was really funny because those shows, I think, kind of inspired me as well at that stage to, to think that these, um, these people who worked in that industry were really cool. And um, yeah, I just loved it. And it's funny because at that stage, as I was telling two other people, um, I felt inspired by these actors and models. And I was just like, oh, you know what? Like in the back of my mind as a child, I, like, I kind of had this vision like, oh, I would really love to be like this when like, I'm a woman when I'm older and I'm you know, doing my own thing. And um, I guess you could say, strangely enough, um, that... I, looking back, I basically completed that vision that I had when I was little. Mm. So I think that's a huge achievement to have considering like that a lot of people, and I think it comes down to choice really. I think a lot of people don't choose to, you know, follow the dreams that they've always had. But, Sorry um, about circumstances as well. Well, choice ultimately, well. Uh, but you know, it takes perseverance to break through circumstances and still follow your dream as I guess. No, most definitely. I think I forget that too. I mean, we're all not, you know, given the perfect set of rule, um, rules and circumstances. But I think those who choose to keep believing themselves and keep, um, you know, moving forward and doing things that they really love, I think that's a really good thing. And um, yeah, no, moving forward, I guess you could say I became the person that I always dreamt of being. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. Nice. But going back then, I was more of a shy person. I don't think I was like a very um, confident child. I think that's that's something that grew with me over time. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. That that's interesting that you ultimately, you know, uh, achieved your dreams, or you are achieving your dreams, given that you weren't necessarily that confident when you were much younger. But let, let me talk about your parents. So you, you said you're 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 a child to Persian and German immigrants. Was your dad German? Was your mom German? Who was German? Um, so in a sense, you could both say they were, um, if, instead, my dad, um, went to Germany when he was really young. So he came from Iran and, um, that's when, where he obviously met my mom and then they, you know, had a decision to come here one day. Mm. So it was, it was really interesting. Um, and I think around that time, even now, I think a lot of people are still immigrating. So it was, um, I guess, yeah, that was my destiny to be born here. Otherwise, I think I would be born in Germany. So, Great, great. I mean, maybe you would have gotten to pose for Playboy Germany. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but growing up as a kid, I mean, uh, most, most immigrant parents, uh, it's not the same all over the world, but, you know, a, a large number of immigrant parents tend to be, you know, fairly conservative particularly those coming from countries like, you know, Iran and things like that. Um, you being um, a, a shy kid, a, a secluded kid, if I can say that, uh, what caused that spark? What, what age was it when you said, okay, you know what, I'm going to give this thing a shot. I, I'm no longer afraid. I need to go all out and be like those people I watched when I was five years old on the TV in Seinfeld and things like that. Mm. Well, I think confidence wise and even like maturity wise like realizing like who you are and I guess for lack of an explanation you know you don't tend to be fully confident in yourself and in your body until a certain age um so for me that was like my late teen hmm. but funny enough it wasn't until I was 21 after like a really shocking experience where I kind of had this reality check and said 
no, I'm just going to go for this. Because, I mean, admittedly, I think it was since I was like 15 where I was like, oh, I'd really love to do modeling, but I didn't really have, sadly enough, I, I will admit, I really didn't have the support or the confidence to go ahead. And like I said, that changed when I was 21. I, you know, I came out of a very hard experience and I was very eager just to do something new and do something for myself. And it's funny because looking back at that, like I remember it being a very difficult time, but in a way I have, you know, some sort of gratitude towards it because like not only did I grow from that experience, but I grew enough for me to know, I guess, what was really important for me. And as a result, I moved on and I started making very, you know, important decisions so one of them was you know doing more things for myself and one of those things was doing a photo shoot mm, and I was really lucky in a way because I had a very supportive boyfriend at the time so yeah that happened and I've never looked back since when you say you you, you came out of a very uh hard experience well what do you mean exactly what happened when you were 21 um, so when I was 21, I wasn't actually living at home. I was living with this, uh, with my, a different person at the time. And this different person or this different boyfriend wasn't exactly the best person in the world. So I was, um, going through a lot of hardship financially, but most importantly, I was going through domestic violence. So that was a very tough experience for me. And, um, you know, for, for most people hearing this, like you hear these stories and they can sometimes, you know, end very bad or they can go on for years. And um, for me, like, yeah, it lasted several months, but, you know, I kind of came out of it as a stronger person. And, you know, obviously you learn a lot from something like that and you learn like what's right and what's wrong. And it, yeah, it was a really horrific experience, but it definitely made me a stronger person. And therefore it made me think, no, I want to make better decisions now. I don't want to make, you know, silly mistakes and I want to start taking care of myself a lot more. Wow, like I, 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 I sympathize with, you know, that particular experience, uh, you know, not, not to dwell on that intentionally, but just for the benefits of some of our listeners who might be female and listening to that, uh, can you kind of like, say or, or give some insight as to what you did because you know being so young at 21 like not a lot of people who have uh, the courage to kind of leave not only leave that relationship but to strive for independence and kickstart a whole brand new career so what did you do did you like lean on family and friends did you get like authorities involved like what can you say to to that you know 21 22 year old girl who's listening to this in some part of the world right now well, I think the at the thing. time, you know, the stuff was happening. I wasn't very vocal about it, admittedly. I was vocal about it to maybe a few friends and a few people knew about it, including my family. And they wanted to intervene and they wanted to say, you know what, maybe you should spend more time with us. Maybe you should move out completely. And I mean, so people were kind of aware and did you of leave, that. Did you leave home by choice? Sorry to cut you short. Did you leave home by choice at 21? Um, yeah, I left by choice. So I really didn't want to like, um, I didn't really want to live under the rules of my parents anymore. They were very conservative. And I just was like, you know what, I, I want to make my experience and do something new. And like, don't get me wrong, if I knew that that was going to, you know, end in domestic violence, I wouldn't have done it. But it wasn't, it was definitely not obvious at the time. You know, I think this was just something that just developed. And that and, can even make it harder going back home, knowing that you yeah. left home and, you know, you feel a sense of pride or and shame going back, you know, home, that kind of thing. 
I think I did in a way, but funny enough, like I, my parents actually helped me move into my very own place after it all happened. But going back to the actual story, yeah, a few people knew about a time, but I didn't exactly do anything in terms of, um, you know, calling the police. It was actually one night where um, I think a neighbor called the police because they could hear things and the police did show up and they intervened and things actually happened from there. So that's when, you know, you go into, you know, for those of you who don't know, you go to the police station, you put in your statement. Um, but there was also this, there, there was this organization, which I was like really inspired by. I think it's all run by women, but they're called the Domestic Violence Crisis Organization. So these volunteers had showed up to the station as well. And they gave me some advice and actual instruction for what I could, else I could do from there. So I had what's called a DVO, um, and that's like a domestic violence order. Depending what's decided in the court, depends what that order means. So, um, yeah, there were a few steps that were done, but also advised to me by these people, by the police, by the, um, you know, the, the, the organization on what I could do. So I had that support from the authorities when they did intervene, which I'm very, very thankful for because... Um, I'm sure it happens in a lot of places. I'm, I'm sure Australia is not the only one who has that organisation, but it's good to know that, you know, things are more taken seriously now when it comes to this sort of stuff and that there is a support when you need it because a lot of people, when they, even if the police do intervene, they don't exactly know what to do. They're like, oh, what does this mean now? Am I breaking up with this person or what's, you know what I mean? Like you don't really know, not even I knew. So I had a lot of emotional, but also to an extent, like legal support on what I, on what sort of steps I should be taking afterwards. And they, yeah, it was just, you know, I, don't, I hate to say this, but it was amazing to have that sort of support, despite the fact that I came out of this really tough time. And I think it goes to show that you just need to really know what's wrong and what's right. And sometimes people get very almost confused by it, like what's acceptable, what's not. Yeah, most definitely, yeah, most definitely. But well, eventually you went on to like kickstart your career. Like was it at the age of 21, 22? What was that first? Uh, did you just whip out a phone and start taking pictures? What, 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 how did you get into the modeling industry? It was very hard because... Um, you know, I had all these inspirations. I didn't exactly have a mentor or someone coaching me and saying, this is what you do. So more or less, I kind of just started putting myself out there. I organized a photo shoot, which then um, I got images out of it. You know, I started networking, reaching out, and it wasn't really helping a lot for, I think, a couple of months or so. But it was really funny because I put myself on this network um, and this online network, it's so funny because now that I think about it, you know, that's how often you can find huge opportunities. So I applied for this job and the person who was on there, they seemed like a very interesting individual. They were doing a couple of things and um, they saw that I applied for it, but they saw that I didn't really have the qualifications. Like I just started modeling really. I didn't really have even a portfolio admittedly. And they kind of, it was really funny though, because I was sick at the time. So I had like all this spare time and they, anyway, they organized a couple of conference calls with me. And next thing you know, um, I was been given a lot of advice, a lot of like tips on how I can do things. And 
the next thing I know, um, yeah, I was recommended to get, you know, some portfolio pictures taken with um, a very um, renowned photographer in Australia. And um, things just really kicked off from there. And that's when, I guess you could say, I almost got scouted into glamour modeling. And um, yeah, things just kicked off from there. And I had my, my um, um, I had support, um, I gained a manager and things were going really well. So I was very thankful to start going into that direction. But looking back, like that was just literally just the beginning. And I think even now there's, still so much more to achieve although a lot of people say um after 11 playboy appearances that's a pretty good um you know a pretty good basis to have and um besides that like there have been other numerous magazines i've been featured in like um maxim usa about twice maxim mexico and there's just so many other things i could you know mention about when it comes to the magazine industry but yeah, it was definitely, looking back, it was like definitely like, I don't want to say it was just luck, but it was kind of like destiny and things just happened because they did. But then again, I put in my choice to say that, yes, I will take this opportunity and I will do my best. Oh, so did you, that yeah, that makes sense. Did you deliberately go into modeling? Like, how did you know? Like, did you, because I've seen you like your Instagram page and you know, you're obviously like a very beautiful individual, um, but did you go in deliberately wanting to pose for um, publications like Maxim, like Playboy? So the more edgy, risque kind of thing, or was that like, you know, the influence of your your manager, your, your modeling agency, that kind of thing? Um, like I said, when I originally got scouted, they oh, originally, did, I guess you could say, almost got discovered. Um, I was recommended to go and see a very um, well-known um, Australian glamour photographer. And he had done, you know, works for the likes of FHM and um, Ralph, which are huge magazines in Australia. And like I said, his work is like very sexy, like very, you know, very strong but incredible work. I was just like looking at the images going, wow, like this is incredible. So, you know, going in, I knew what type of photo shoot it was going to be. I didn't know too much about the industry, but I had a rough idea because, you know, by then I would have seen the stuff on television and what people do. Um, and I guess from there, I kind of progressed more into glam modeling and, you know, started setting up more shoots and started setting up a profile. And, um, you know, I'm someone who's a bit of a listener. So I take on advice. I, you know, see what else I can um, learn and so on. And it's that's a very good quality. I'm very thankful have actually and um yeah looking back it's like you know I was really willing to learn and do better and yeah glamour modeling just at least at the very beginning so so much happened to be you know something I ventured into but you know I reckon in the first month or two I was like yeah this is I think this is me like I think this is really cool and don't get me wrong like I used to feel even when I was younger, so empowered by the women posing in lingerie and, you know, doing all these really cool stuff. I thought that, I, I thought that was just amazing. So now that I found myself doing that, my, you know, I, I, you know, I just thought the, the journey was really cool. And I think it was about maybe under a year in, I was like, you know what, I've always been a fan of Playboy. I'd love to pose for the magazine. And, um, I think it was, Thinking back, I think it was like my second year into my 
into modeling, I, um, I scored a, um, a digital interview, like with Playboy Poland. Mm-hmm. So they published my photos and like um, a little interview online, which I found really cool. And then from there, things started kicking off. So, um, oh, so yeah. Was Playboy your first cover? My first cover was in 2018, and that was a Playboy Croatia. Um, and to, to do that at the time, actually, I was traveling all the way. Well, I did like a little tour. I went to North America, so I went to a few places in the United States. And then I went to Toronto up in Canada to work with a Playboy photographer. And that's where yeah, I did a Playboy cover shoot. So that was wow. very exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's 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 really interesting. Like I admire one thing I admire about you, and as I'm getting a sense of your personality, is your drive. Like you just set these goals. Like, look, I want to be in Playboy. I want to do this. I want to go into modeling. I want to do that. Like it's and that's something that's rare um, for a lot of people, you know, in the world making up their mind. Some people who eventually make up their minds get pulled back by you know loved ones and family. Was it a hard sell? to your immigrant parents and your family saying, oh, you want to do glamour modeling? Like, what was the reaction from, from your parents or from your friends or, or, or loved ones? I think for my parents especially, it was, like, really hard. So for me to to deal with their, I guess, negative talk wasn't very easy. But you have to remember, like, I had been through a lot of bullying through my life, actually, like, at school. I just came from domestic violence. and I was like, you know what? I know how important my life is. I know how important I am. I can't let anybody, like literally anybody, you know, make me feel down and not, not do these wonderful things that I want to do. So I already had this sense of um, empowerment, but a sense of like care in my heart, knowing what was right and what was wrong. So in a way, I thank my experiences, including domestic violence, not that I'm happy that happened, but I can think that I've learned from it and learned how important it is to do things and to do things for yourself. And um, yeah, like I said, it very much empowered me and it just made me want to do the things that I really wanted to do because I won't lie, like there were times where I thought in that domestic violence situation where I thought I had this terrible life, I was feeling very upset and down and you know there were times that I was scared for my own life like um you know would I be alive and stuff like that so I started becoming much more aware of how important your life is and how important it is to even you know to to be alive to have that little bit more of appreciation because some people kind of you know they sit back and they let light time pass them by and I think it's a very um bad attitude to have but at the same time I think people don't realize this sometimes and I think I think the people who don't realize this are the people who haven't been through hardship which is okay it's understandable but people don't realize how um lucky they are if they already have a very safe environment around them when they already have um very safe people loving people around Mm -hmm. them because this to this very day uh, you know, even as we speak, I'm sure there are child sex rings still happening. I'm sure there's people living in fear, whether it's family violence or domestic violence. I'm sure there's people living in poverty. And whilst I wasn't exactly like living in full poverty at that time, it made me realize just how dangerous the scary life can be. And um, yeah, it definitely made me like grow up, if you know what I mean. Because I think sometimes when people are too sheltered, they don't see. 
they just don't understand it. So yeah, to come out of that and then to do the things that I did, like there was a whole lot of meaning behind it. And it definitely made me realize just how important it is to to do the things you want to do in life. Most definitely, you know, back to back to a lot of people taking things for granted, just like we discussed during COVID. Uh, but let me ask you this. So you, you, you've traveled to, you know, new, numerous places. You, you talked about your tour in North America. You've posed for Playboy Croatia. You've posed for Max in Mexico, all these places. So I'm 31, right? So my whole... Um, perception of the modeling industry is still like the mid 90s early 90s where like Naomi Campbell was like the only black model more or less before like Tyra Banks came in later where a lot of agencies were forcing you know models to be pretty much anorexic in a sense though there, there were a lot of you know there were cases and rumors of trafficking here and there and you know it was kind of like a very ugly scene behind the scene in the modeling industry um this is a whole new world now like um magazines don't necessarily have the power that they used to have there are a lot of digital platforms now that that models use to to showcase their, their pictures and things like that but you going into the industry and haven't been there for five years, what would you say your experience is in the industry? How do you view the industry? And, you know, I'm not, it, how much of the of that industry still lingers on? Have you seen anything of or encountered any experience in your travel that, you know, was a little surprising to you or maybe even confirmed some of those perceptions that you may or may not have had? Um, I mean, I think if we're relating to like anorexia or models starving themselves, you still see a lot of that. Apparently, even though I can't really confirm this because I haven't been there, um, that still happens in a lot of the European fashion shows and what have you because they're like, you know, I don't want to say old school or old fashioned, but in a way they are because they still do a lot of fashion shows. And I guess for runway, especially for these top brands, you have to be really tall and slim. Um, I mean, like, I won't lie. I remember starting modeling and I was told to, you know, lose some weight, which I did. Um, it wasn't like for them, or at least basically what I was told, it wasn't about, you know, becoming this very skinny person. It was just for them, they said it's about coming in shape and being very toned and, and fit. So that was at least the perception that I received. So I did that. I lost weight. I got into shape. And, you know, I think it can be very hard from the dieting side of things as a model to really stay in shape all the time. Because sometimes you look at things, you're like, Especially oh, during COVID. That. Mm-hmm. that was the hardest bit. But, you know, I, I made it through the end of the tunnels, they say. So I think for COVID, I'm doing okay. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It's different nowadays. I guess a lot of, places like magazines even don't have full control of how people I don't know are meant to be like because I guess you never really hear or I haven't I've never heard a magazine say oh you're fat we're not going to publish you you know what I mean they you know it's more about if you're getting published in a magazine yes you're getting published for your look and so on but it's more it's more of a collective effort. So they're going to be looking at the hair and makeup, which the hair and makeup artists did. They're going to be looking at the actual photography, um, you know, even the wardrobe styling. So they will look at it and they'll be like, wow, this is an fantastic image. She looks great, but this whole, you know, image looks great as well. So it's like, it's more of a collective creative 
um, thing where people, you know, people work as a team, I think, nowadays to really get their work out there. Got it. Got it. Okay, let, let's sidestep from the model conversation for a little bit. Let's talk about Christmas. I mean, we're recording this uh, about a week or what, what, like six days uh, to Christmas or something like that. And um, what's it like? Like, um, I think I was uh, I was in Sydney in, I want to say February. When is St. Patrick's Day? Is that February or March? Something like that in, in 2019. So it wasn't necessarily uh, Christmas season. Uh, but what's it like? I, I'm not sure if you live in Sydney right now or if you if you live still live in Canberra, but um, what's the Christmas like in Australia? Um, well, Canberra's a small city. Funny enough, it's the capital city for those who never knew. Um, mm-hmm. And but yeah, it's a much more smaller city than Sydney. But it has been busy. I think naturally, people do a lot of shopping leading up to Christmas. Um, they still have despite COVID. But then again, like Canberra has been very lucky. We've barely had any sort of like dramatic cases or anything. In fact, we have no cases at all. I don't think we had have had any for like over two months. So like this is where I know and I and it's funny because I think people here can sometimes overreact even if there's just one person. And I think I'm not much of a negative thinker anyway. I think more optimistically. And I think, okay, yeah, one person can get it and pass on to anyone else. But are, but but are I people guess, following the guidelines, though? You know, wearing masks, social distancing. Are people, like, complying? Because um, in some parts of the world, you have people, a large number of people, not necessarily cooperating. And that's why it's difficult to kind of, like, flatten the curve, in a sense. Um, I think most people are. But of course, it's not always the case. Like I mm-hmm. went to the mall the other day and I think it's very hard to social distance if, you know, everyone's rushing in and trying to do their thing and trying to get Christmas shopping done. Mm-hmm. So I won't lie, there has been times where I haven't seen social distancing. Um, but I don't think people are necessarily just being overly careless. I mean, it depends. Um, I'm a little bit more, how should you say it? Like, I'm, I guess I'm more of an optimistic thinker. I think, well, um, yeah, I guess we shouldn't always expect the worst, if that makes sense. But interestingly enough, I did a COVID course with, like, it's called like a infection control course. And you can, anyone can do this. So you don't have to be a health worker. And I did it for free with the Australian government's Department of Health. So they put this online. You, it pretty much took you an hour by the time you read the information and did a test. And they give you a certificate at the end. And I think, like being informed of the facts and the education um, made me feel less paranoid, if that makes sense. And I mean, everyone has different beliefs, so that's why I don't like expressing too much about it. Because I, I, I remember having this conversation with someone and saying, oh, yeah, I did this course and this is what the Australian government's health site says. And the other person was debating with me and were like, actually, you know, this is what this website says. So I'm just like, okay, well, I, I think people like want to believe whatever makes them feel more at ease or more correct. Yeah, I don't just know. Just to reinforce, but I guess, yeah, it's, it's the way of the world in, in today's news cycle. Everyone just seeks out news that reinforces their already existing beliefs. Um, but that's interesting, you know, like you said, you know, particularly in early February and March when nobody really knew what was going on. There was panic all over, toilet paper, things like that. But, you know, like you said, with more information comes more knowledge and it should. Uh, but, you know, there are also cases of disinformation and things like that. But not to go too 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 far into the whole COVID discussion, um, 
Let's talk about your country, Australia. Uh, you know, I was there for just a few days. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to um, Melbourne. So I was just in Sydney for, I think, three days or something. I went to Bondi, went to a couple of places. Uh, I went to the harbor uh, and things like that. It was a pretty beautiful from what I've seen in Perth, pictures of Perth and Melbourne and Canberra as well. Uh, it's pretty, looks pretty amazing as well. And one thing I was pretty interesting when I went there is uh, when I think we're trying to get McDonald's and it was it was called Mackey's uh, over there. That, that, mm-hmm. that was pretty interesting. Is there anything else you can tell us about Australia for someone who's listening to this, who um, seeks to visit the country sometime soon? Um, what would you advise they do if they land in any of those four cities? What would you, uh, what touristy thing would you advise they do? And what's one fact about Australia that you think uh, our listeners will find interesting? Um, I think if they, you know, I think one thing they should do, um, definitely visit the beaches because I think Australia is known for its very beautiful and iconic beaches. So definitely do that. And I think, I think there are many different things about Australia, but like, yeah, I think Australia is more of a um, kind of like laid back sort of country. I think people can be very carefree in a way and just, you know, be happy doing the simplest of things. And um, I guess you'll definitely notice that more in like if you were going to very, um, like the CBD, like the, the cities themselves um, of Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra are more busy. But like, I guess if you went to the more like, coastal areas where you had smaller towns, like you'll definitely recognize that sort of laid back vibe. And um, yes, there's a lot of kangaroos. Like I think if I were to, because Canberra has a lot of like bushland in a way, so a national parks around it. Um, so if I were to go for like a 40 minute drive, I'm not sure about now because it's like 3 a.m., but um, there pretty much is an area where it's not far too far away from like normal human society. In fact, it's like right there, but there's this area where you occasionally find just kangaroos just casually hanging out. Like they're just there. Um, and no, it happened to me once my mom and I were um, walking and in, this was in a suburb we were living in at the time. And it was like, it was newly built. But it had a lot of, it was good for families because it had a lot of, like, I think it had a national park nearby, had a lot of, you know, trees and, and a playground and a lot of, like, grass areas near it, like near all the houses. And so, you know, there was a lot of nature. And we were walking and there was, like, a kangaroo in the footpath. Like, and it's, it, it, like, crossed the zebra crossing and it went into someone's backyard. And then we wow. just looked at each other like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> so it was like really random. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of kangaroos. Yeah, definitely. I think I read somewhere that it's like three to one or something, the ratio of, of kangaroos to humans or two to one, something like that. Um, but yeah, um, what do you want to do? Um, like, what's your plan? Uh, I know you have interests beyond modeling, like in acting. You've you've had some roles in, in a couple of uh, uh, movies, uh, but what do you want to do going forward? Um, you're a person who sets her goals and, you know, pretty much, you know, strives to achieve them. So what do you see yourself doing in the next five years? Um, it's a really good question because, you know, I will admit, like I had all these fixed goals and I said to myself, I think, yes, it's very important to have fixed goals, but I think it's also very important to be 
open-minded and understand that sometimes life can actually steer you in other directions, not in bad ones, but in, in good ones. So for me, it kind of meant that if the opportunity came for something, something really cool, like, you know, doing my own reality series, then I would do that, you know, providing that that's just something I really want to do at the time. Um, but I guess, you know, there's a lot of goals that I have. And one of them is to, you know, become a professional actress. I, I definitely would love to make it to the big screen. Like most when you say professional actress, actress you mean in the States, in Australia or globally? Um, I think globally would be really cool. Um, I can definitely say I'm a traveler and I'd love to, you know, be an act- actress in the States. I think it would be really amazing. Um, I think I would learn so much as well. So that that would definitely be a huge goal of mine. And nice. um, yeah, I've had a lot of other ambitions to do things. Like I'd love to build my own like makeup or fashion line. But I think like the more, you know, I guess the more open-minded you are and the more that you progress into into your career, I guess the more opportunities will come up and then you will kind of, you know, take them on depending on how important they are to you. So I think, you know, especially with, I was reading something actually the other day and I will mention this and I agree with this because it definitely applied to me coming out of domestic violence. And it said that in the end or in conclusion, belief is more stronger than skill. So if you really believe in yourself, then it doesn't matter how skilled you are, you are going to get further than someone who doesn't believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, um, regardless of what exactly happens in the next five years, whether I do focus more on acting or, you know, if I have my own reality series, I think for me it would be more important to believe in what I have to offer to the world and believe in everything that, you know, that I really want to do this. So um, I hope that little bit of advice helps anyone else who's listening to this as well. Most definitely, most definitely. You know, I've heard someone say, be stubborn with your vision, but be flexible with your strategy. So, you know, you might have an end goal in mind that, okay, I want to be in this industry, I want to do this. But, you know, with the ever-changing world, uh, things being dynamic, there might be different paths to get to that destination. So, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. Um, uh, you're, you're, you're such a hard worker. Um, you know, you're you're still in your mid-20s and, you know, just me researching into not not a lot of guests I, I research into that has, you know, um, quite the achievements that you already have. So I have no no doubt in my mind that you're, you're bound to achieve even more. Um, is there any particular country you'd love to visit um, or, or continent uh, you love to, to visit in the near future? Um, I'd love to visit Europe. I haven't been there before. Um, I think to visit Germany would be a really cool thing as well. Um, but it's really funny, like my travel plans to the United States um, obviously got cancelled this year. So I said to everyone, you know, all the people that I knew over there, like, I'm coming back. Yeah, trust <laughs> when, me, you're, you not, know, missing, you're not missing anything. Probably, I've heard the right same now. thing. There's a lot of stuff going on, so I guess... Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter too much. And I think when the time is right, that means the circumstance will be too. So, yeah. Yep, yep. Well, thank you so much. Like, I certainly appreciate the fact that, you know, you gave us an audience today, uh, giving our listeners an insight into your life and what you do. How can people keep up with you? Like, if someone wants to reach out to you uh, for, you know, 
about questions about modeling or someone needs, um, you know, some advice on domestic violence or someone, you know, just just needs like general inspiration. Like how, how can the, our listeners keep up with you? So I'm very active on social media. So um, listeners can follow me at the following pages. So for Facebook and Instagram, it's Jasmine Shojai Model. Um, my last name is spelled S-H-O-J-A-I. And for Twitter, it's, it's Jasmine underscore Shojai. Um, and for my video channel, which we, which features my reality web series, which is a little project I'm doing on the side. So I'm pretty much documenting what happens behind the scenes when I'm modeling and doing other things. So for that, it's, um, as I said, it's on the daily motion. All you have to do is search up Jasmine Shojai TV. Um, please do subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. And um, all the clips that I have on there are uh, free to view. So, um, yeah, I definitely look forward to um, seeing more, you know, people, you know, come check out my stuff. And, um, yeah. Nice. And when I say I admire your work ethic, like Facebook was one of the reasons why, because you're one of the few people I know who still keeps her Facebook page updated. Like most people just, you know, focus on Instagram and they leave the other stuff. Like you still make sure that you do the rounds and, you know, YouTube, Facebook, everything's like kept up to date and everything. That's really admirable. And this this is coming from a podcast, so who needs to do, do more of that? So <laughs> It can be really hard. I think there's a few apps that you can purchase that lets you post on different pages at the same time. But I think for the most part, if you link everything and you post on Instagram, um, you can link it to your other pages. But yeah, yeah, but sometimes, you know, it's different. Hard. It's like a different audience. So like the, the, the what's it called? The copy or what? The wordings has to be a little bit different on Facebook. You know, the, the aspect ratio on the photo has to be different. So it's just, it's just the whole thing. But we'll get there someday, fingers crossed. But yeah. <laughs> yes, it's been pretty interesting talking to you once again. Uh, I wish you a happy holidays um, and may 2021 be better for you, your followers, our listeners, and for everyone in the world. Uh, I think 2020 has been too much of a beating and we deserve some, some laughter <laughs> next year. But um, as always, uh, it's Culture Class Podcast. If you guys want to reach out to us, uh, Culture Class Podcast on all social media, send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Check us our website, drop us a voice note, cultureclasspodcast.com. Till next time, guys, be well.